The Grinch story goes on, and you'll hear it right here. The fate to befall him is really quite queer. The Grinch moved to Whoville. He was part of the town. Until one fateful day, the disease went around. He locked himself in his new Whoville home. And once again, that poor Grinch was so, so alone. Then came the day the TV gum flappers spoke. An untested vaccine is ready. Really, no joke. So he rolled up his sleeve and they stuck it right in. And he got free donuts and cheeseburgers and discounts on gin. The Whoville Department of Health said, do not fear. We have the Who science, Who data, and Who numbers here. The Great Reset saved him, Who government said. He could now leave his prison because of the meds. But he kept the mask on to prove he was good. And he never once missed the boosters he should. But arrived did the day. The Grinch's heart again grew a lot. It was already too late when he remembered the shots. His veins, heart, and brain were clogged with a clot. And the Who first responders pronounced him dead on the spot. He got it for Grandma and stopping the spread. He got it to keep his new Who family fed. But the pedo elites got what they wanted instead. Grinches and Who's and everyone dead. So do your own research and please don't be lazy. Government health will have you pushing up daisies. Welcome back to Everything Allegedly. My name is Sean. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, that poor Grinch. <laughs> Isn't that a terrible story? It is a cautionary tale, though. It is a cautionary tale. Don't trust the government for your health advice. That's the moral of that story, even if it's the WHO government. Because as nice as the, the WHOs of Whoville are, guarantee their government sucked. <laughs> Show me any culture in the world, and I will point out the worst of them by showing you who's in their government. <laughs> anyway, and with that, a Merry Christmas to you all. Oh, boy, it has been a busy, busy, wonderful time of year uh, for me. <laughs> we we went to go visit some family for a, uh, a family Christmas Um and uh, we were staying in a hotel, and everyone got sick. <laughs> we were all sick in the hotel. So that trip was a bummer. And then uh, we came home because there was a hurricane, or at least something hurricane-esque happening around our house. And uh, so we got home just in time for our power to be knocked out. And uh, and it was out for quite a while. So uh, this episode is coming out late, <laughs> and and that is why. And don't worry. Like I have explained in this podcast, I'm a prepper. So we were taking care of the house and the prepping plan worked out pretty well, except <laughs> except the podcast studio was not factored in. <laughs> so uh, while the necessities were taken care of, the, uh, the poor Everything Allegedly podcast did suffer the consequence of that power outage. 
So here we are now <laughs> with a little bit late episode, but a little closer to Christmas. So guess we all win. And uh, I should say with this episode, this one is definitely not for kids. I mean, none of my episodes are for kids, so I wouldn't recommend kids listening to any of them. But this one is definitely not because it's about Christmas and kind of how the sausage is made. And uh, we don't want that for kids. We want the magic to uh, to stay with them as long as it can. So this episode and all the others, definitely not for kids. So, so let's talk about Christmas because I have a list here of, I don't know, 10. Uh, yeah, it's 10. 10 things that I think are just uniquely cool about Christmas and they have some interesting origin stories. And so I want to go through those. We'll call them 10 Christmas did you knows. So first of all, let's talk about uh, Christmas and what is the real reason for the season. Well, if you've listened to me before, you'll know that the real reason for the season, according to me, is the birth of Jesus. And as I explained in the Christmas episode last year, Jesus wasn't really born on December 25th, at least probably not, because I know Jesus was a Pisces, because I'm a Pisces, so I feel like he was also a Pisces. <laughs> Anyway, but nobody really knows, and uh, he was most likely born uh, in the spring or sometime when it was warm. But the thing about celebrating Jesus' birth is that it wasn't always really a thing. Uh, m more popular was celebrating the, uh, the death and then resurrection of Jesus. Celebrating birthdays weren't really a thing. They were kind of considered a little bit pagan. And so celebrating Jesus's birth is a relatively new thing in the, um, in the realm of Christian celebration, I guess you would say. But anyway, that is not really the focus of this podcast. But uh, the first Christmas uh, character that I would like to talk about is St. Nicholas. So he's number one on the list, St. Nicholas. And so, you know, you know, St. Nick, right? <laughs> it's another name for Santa Claus. But why is that? Because St. Nicholas is, uh, well, he actually comes around on, on December 6th, or used to anyway, or at least that was the, uh, that was the idea behind uh, St. Nick, because his feast day, his celebration day is December 6th. So why the mix up? Why is Santa Claus St. Nick? Well, it probably goes back to a story from the early 1800s by a guy named Washington Irvin, and uh, he had a, a, a story. He was an author. He had a story called uh, Knickerbocker's History of New York, and in a Christmas story in there, he names Sancti Claus, <laughs> and um, he describes this Sancti Claus as a jolly fat guy who drops presents down the chimney. And so I always used to think like Santa Claus, I know Santa means saint, but there's no Saint Claus or Saint Klaus that I know of. So anyway, that's probably where the mix-up comes from. It probably has uh, to do with uh, Sancti Claus, <laughs> which was most likely a Dutch name that uh, this guy attributed to the guy dropping presents down the chimney. So there you go. We have this uh, this relationship 
between St. Nicholas and, uh, and what we have now, Santa Claus. All right, so number two on my list is Santa Claus. And um, where did Washington Irving get that name, Sancti Claus? As I mentioned, it was probably um, probably from a Dutch word. And that Dutch word would have been like Sinterklaas. I don't know. I don't speak Dutch. Um, <laughs> I am Dutch, I guess. Uh my family came from the Netherlands, but I don't speak it. So the best I can say is it was probably something like Sinterklaas. And why does Santa Claus look like he does? Well, we probably have an answer for that too. And it was around this same time period, also in New York City, around the 1800s, <clears throat> excuse me, early 1800s, there was a cartoonist. And uh, his name was Thomas Nast, and he uh, wrote and uh, and and was a, a cartoonist for for um, the uh, Harper's Weekly. And now he came up with these designs for Santa Claus, these illustrations of Santa Claus. And wouldn't you know, he had thirty three different designs for Santa Claus. There's that number again. <laughs> if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you've heard me mention 33 a lot of times, maybe even 33 times. But anyway, uh, so yeah, this guy has 33 different illustrations of Santa Claus, or at least kind of a as we know him today. Now, Thomas Nast was uh, originally from Germany. And so when he was designing these uh, Santa Claus illustrations, he was probably drawing on his on his youth in Germany and uh, the stories that he had heard and um, the concepts that he made up because of those stories. And they were probably inspired by here's some some words again. I don't know how to pronounce, but probably inspired by uh, a character called Belschnickel and another one called Weinoxman which um, I believe is just like the Axeman <laughs> uh, or the, uh, the, 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 the tree <laughs> cutter man, something like that. But anyway, that's how this guy, that's how Thomas Nast came up with the kind of design and the look of Santa Claus that we know today. It probably comes from uh, these old German traditions. And by the way, most of the stuff on this list is from Germany. So if you like celebrating American Christmas... I guess thank a German for it because most of this stuff is totally German. Anyway, the uh, the the next one here, number three, is uh, Christkind. Now, what is Christkind? <laughs> it's uh, it's yet another uh, a German thing. And um, during the Protestant Revolution, uh, Martin Luther, uh, when he nailed his his list to the uh, the, the church doors of, of the Catholic Church with all of his, um, we'll call them protestations, and uh, all of his demands for the Catholic Church. Well, anyway, he thought that we should stop celebrating saints. And since uh, St. Nicholas was a saint, well, that meant stop celebrating St. Nicholas around the holidays. And so as you can imagine... The kids of this time were not happy about it. <laughs> they were they were not stoked with uh, not celebrating this uh, saint that delivers them gifts. So they had to come up with another one. And the one they came up with is 
Christkind. And um, it basically just means the Christ child. And so they, uh, they got uh, somebody, th- this new character, in place of St. Nicholas. And he basically just performed the same functions, but without celebrating a saint. Now, eventually, the parents relented and, um, and, and, and everyone got, uh, you know, Christmas back in the way they wanted it. But the, the Christ can name kind of stuck. And this is actually how we get that name, Chris Kringle. So Christkin became Chris Kringle, and um, you know it sort of uh, stuck around for for a little bit, uh, but really became famous. Uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street uh, really set that one off because the name of of uh, the Macy Santa Claus guy in real life was Chris Kringle. And so the name really got cemented in then, and uh, that's how we know it today. So uh, Chris Kringle comes from Christkind, and um, that was that was basically just another one of Martin Luther's demands. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, we have uh, St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, Christkind, Chris King, Kringle, all of them mixed up in one uh, happy, jolly Santa Claus that we know today. But there's one more. And it's my favorite one. And it's not so jolly at all. (laughs) But I love it. So number four, my favorite Christmas character has to be Krampus. (laughs) And I love the Krampus. This thing is super cool. It is uh, the Christmas devil. (laughs) That's right. Did you know there was a Christmas devil? Well, there is. And this thing is creepy and scary and he looks like the Baphomet. Do you know what the Baphomet is? It's that thing with like the 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 goat horns, and <laughs> it has boobs for some reason. And um, it's the one that all the conservatives. There is a statue of it somewhere. I want to say it's in Virginia. Everyone gets really mad about that Baphomet statue. Anyway, that's what Krampus looks like. It's terrifying. Uh, like I said, he's got the horns, like the goat horns, and he wears like torn furs and everything. It's really, really a terrifying creature. And what he does is he punishes the bad children. So sometimes he shows up with St. Nicholas. In fact, um, as I think I mentioned before, St. Nicholas's uh, feast day is on the 6th. That's generally when St. Nicholas is celebrated. And uh, Krampus actually shows up on December 5th. Anyway, that's the legend. And so I, I said he's kind of like the, the anti-Santa. He's definitely the Christmas devil. And he is there to punish the bad children. And uh, what does he do to them? All kinds of things. <laughs> the legends are all over the place. But at the very least, he will whip the bad children with a birch branch. But at the worst is that he's going to take them and put them in his sack. So just like Santa Claus has a sack, Krampus has one too, and that's where he puts the bad children. And then after you're in that sack, he will either eat them or drown them in a river or leave them in hell. (laughs) So, yeah, you don't want to be a bad kid and and end up in Krampus's bag. That's for sure. And I love these. I actually, I actually really love this Krampus story. Kind of wish we had it here. I don't know how I'd incorporate it in my own house, but I think it's just great because I actually think that letting kids kind of wrestle with moral issues is a good thing. 
letting kids kind of uh, explore the dualities of, of humanity, I think it's a good thing. Grimm's fairy tales have lasted the test of time because they're such good stories. And I don't think we need to infantilize kids so much. I think if you have kids, you realize that they really understand a lot more than we give them credit for. And I think it's okay to let them explore these kind of scary things, kind of moral t tales, uh, a lot like the Grimm's fairy tales. We have the Grimm fairy tales book in our house, the original one. Some of them are pretty scary, but again, I think it's good for kids a little bit. Let's not terrify them. Maybe they don't need to be drowned in a river or dragged to hell, but uh, certainly letting them wrestle with moral issues. That's okay. I like that. I like that. So maybe, uh, maybe I'll bring Krampus <laughs> to my household. Anyway, we, ha we have Germany to thank for that one too. Germany is really the greatest of all time. The goat, if you will, of Santa Claus-esque figures. And um, all right, so let's get into what some of these, uh, what some of these figures do. Stockings. So why stockings? Number five is stockings. <laughs> why, why do we hang up old socks? <laughs> well, this goes back to St. Nicholas, who kind of started our story. And um, the story goes that, that uh, St. Nicholas overheard a sad father or many sad fathers, and they were sad because they weren't able to marry their daughters away because they didn't have a dowry. So I guess nobody nobody wanted them because there was uh, there was no money to go along with them. So these poor fathers weren't able to marry their daughters away, and um, and so what did the good Saint Nick do? Well, he threw bags of gold through the open windows of the sad fathers, and uh, the stocks, uh, the excuse me, the stockings or the socks were were drying there on the windowsill. And, uh, and and fell into the socks. So uh, when they woke up to put on their dried socks, they, they found bags of gold in their socks. And uh, because of that, they were able to uh, marry their daughters away and hopefully live happily ever after. Some, uh, some of the stories say that it wasn't bags of gold coins, that it was um, gold balls, which uh, I'd prefer the coins. So if anyone's going to throw uh, gold through my windows, um, I will actually take one ounce gold coins, please make them the, the American buffaloes. But anyway, back to St. Nick. Um, yeah. So sometimes he threw gold balls through the window. Well, not through the window. It'd be fairly easy to throw gold through a window. I guess the windows were open. So anyway, you can find pictures of St. Nick and a lot of times he actually is shown with gold balls, you know, gold, uh, he's holding Gold, gold balls. His balls, his actual balls are not gold. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So yeah, he's usually pictured with like three gold balls and um, and that's why. And you also may have seen pictures of oranges in stockings and um, and oranges uh, being kind of a, a quintessential, a standard uh, stocking stuffer gift. And I always just thought it was because uh, perhaps citrus fruits would have been really hard to get in the winter months. And so that's why they were so prized as a gift at that time. But it actually comes from this story because oranges, as you can see, are orange balls. So that's where the significance of the orange in the stocking comes from. Isn't that great? <laughs> 
I like that. I'm going to put an orange in the stocking this year just for that reason. And uh, speaking of things that uh, that are good in stockings, we should also talk about the things that are not good in stockings or the one in particular. So number six is that terrible item you would get if you were not good. And you know what it is. What do you get in your stocking if you're not good? It's coal. Of course it's coal in the stocking. We all know that. But you know, I didn't know why. And when I made this list... <laughs> I made it based upon things that I mostly knew had a cool story behind them because I had heard them a little bit before. But this one I put on the list because I thought it would have a really cool story behind it. Well, I was kind of wrong. <laughs> this, one, this is not the most exciting one on the list. So number six, six, the coal in the stocking. Where does it come from? Well, it probably just comes from an old Italian story called La Bafana who is the Christmas witch, and she either gives candy or chocolates or coal. And that's really all that it comes down to. And I kind of should have known this one because we actually have a children's book of La Bufana, and um, it's a great children's book. So uh, don't let my my sad delivery of coal and stockings uh, dissuade you. It's a great kid's book for Christmas. I would recommend it. But that's it. Yeah, it's really, really only probably comes from that story. And also because coal would have just been this thing laying around because houses at one time were heated a lot with coal, especially in urban areas. It was much easier to get coal into the houses than uh, than than lumber and wood. Because as you can imagine, if you live in a city, there's not a lot of trees around. And it's hard to get them to the houses. So anyway, there would have been a bunch of coals laying around and uh, it would have been super convenient to just grab one of those and toss them into the sock of the misbehaving little shit. So there you go. Number six, coal in the stockings. Number seven. Number seven is probably the biggest one on the list. And that is the night before Christmas. Did you know that the night before Christmas... It's not actually called The Night Before Christmas. I always thought it was. But the name of that poem is actually called A Visit from St. Nicholas. And it was initially originally published anonymously. And then later on, like 30 years later, uh, the the author who, who we know it today, uh, Clement Clark Moore, he... Uh, took credit for it. It was initially published in 1823. And it's really hard to actually understate the effect that this poem had on the American Christmas and Santa Claus and just everything that we know today and sort of our our feelings and the 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 look and feel of, of Christmas that we celebrate today. This poem had more to do with it than just about anything else. And remember I mentioned the Harper's cartoons and that the uh, cartoonist uh, Thomas Nast had drawn those 33 different Santa Claus cartoons and that he drew upon his uh, you know childhood stories in Germany. Well, he was probably also heavily drawing upon this poem, um, the night before Christmas or a visit from St. Nicholas because this poem would have come out 
you know, just a little bit before he was doing those cartoons. And it was hugely, hugely uh, impactful. This would have been like the most blockbuster movie. This would have been like the most popular song. It was everywhere. And what it inspired, and I had to go back and read it. We read it every year, but I, I, I didn't. You know, I don't quite concentrate on the words like I did this time. And it's really amazing because when you read through it, it's very descriptive. Like the look of Santa Claus is is very well uh, uh, described, although the size of him is a bit weird. Uh, we certainly um, have have adapted some changes to that. But also the fact that he is riding in a sleigh and that he was being pulled by reindeer and that they were flying, and that they landed on the roof. I mean, now we he, we hear it, it's everywhere. We we hear it. We know it. We love it. It's just part of the story. But in eight in the eighteen twenties, you must have been thinking like, "Wow, this is an acid trip." You're telling me that this dude who looks like that, his sleigh is flying. And being pulled by reindeer, which wasn't really generally what they were pulled with, and that he was landing on the roof of the house. Okay, that's weird. Well, also, in the previous tradition, especially with St. Nicholas, a lot of times the presents were uh, uh, thrown down the chimney, or in the case of the gold, they were thrown through a window. But in this, this new poem, Santa Claus himself actually comes down the chimney. So that's where we get the tradition of Santa Claus coming down the chimney and having toys in a big sack. That wasn't really part of the uh, part of the legend either up until this time. And so all of this stuff, really the 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 feel and the design of our sort of secular Christmas traditions, basically all come from this poem. It's pretty amazing. I would encourage you to read that poem or do like us, read it every year, but really concentrate on it and um, try to put it in the context of 1823 and just how descriptive it must have been to the people of that time. They must have really loved it. Well, we know that they did because, it, like I said, it was a blockbuster. It was awesome. And uh, we have that to thank now. Number eight on the list is Nutcrackers. That's right. I had to include this one, too, because it's also German. I promise. Basically, all the Christmas traditions are German. It's amazing. But anyway, this one is pretty new. Pretty new in the world of uh, Christmas decorations. They probably go back pretty far in, in Germany, but as far as I can tell... These things really became popular in the 1950s when American soldiers were stationed in Germany. So this would have been after, you know, World War II had ended. We had quite a long occupation over there. There was probably a bunch of American soldiers stationed there. Germany has these Christmas markets and uh, entire Christmas towns. If I understand, I'd love to visit one. But anyway, uh, these toy soldiers would have been really attractive to the American soldiers because they were toy soldiers, uh, these nutcrackers. And they actually did used to crack nuts. That was the purpose of them, although a lot of the wood ones don't really do that anymore. 
Um, and these things are cool because they, they, they're meant to stand guard. They're meant to uh, protect your home, put them on the mantle generally. And um, I just love them. The reason they really caught on was because about that time in the 1850s, Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker Suite was also really catching on as a holiday tradition. So these two things kind of really went together and kind of lit the fire for why the Nutcrackers became so famous. And the rest of the story is really history on those. Now, <laughs> I've got to throw in the reason I know that these Nutcrackers now don't really work as Nutcrackers. They're just decorative, but they used to, is because we have an authentic German Nutcracker. We bought it from this boutique Christmas store, whatever, and um, it's really cool. It's a, a beautiful piece and um, looks very festive, and I love it, but, uh, but it doesn't actually crack nuts. Now, the funny thing, the reason I'm telling you this story is because this authentic German Nutcracker came with a catalog. Because this company is like the premier, you know, nutcracker toy soldier maker. And uh, there's tons of designs in the catalog. I don't know, 50 or 100 designs. They're all really cool. But as you would imagine, uh, because they're German, all of the characters are white. <laughs> because, because, of course, they are. They're, they're German. Except one. <laughs> there's one nutcracker out of the entire catalog that is black. <laughs> and it was so funny because it's called Jazz Santa. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. The whole catalog is all is all white Santas except or all white nutcrackers rather, except for Jazz Santa. Though the lone token black uh, nutcracker. So um, I posted a picture of it on my minds <laughs> page. So if you want to check out the uh, the Jazz Santa. If you'd like to get the Jazz Santa Nutcracker for your home, uh, find it on my Minds page. Anyway, all right, what do we have next? Number nine, Christmas trees. Of all the things on this list, Christmas trees are definitely the oldest. It's really cool. In fact, I didn't even know that they were so old. I just love Christmas trees because they're awesome. I like bringing them into my house. I like the live trees. I like the way they smell. And um, and we have a giant Christmas tree. And I love it that the struggle makes it amazing. But these things are super old. Not just the oldest thing on the list, but the oldest thing on the list by far. Because they think they can trace these trees, Christmas trees, or uh, you know, a celebration of uh, you know winter solstice or whatever with an evergreen tree back to the druids. I mean, that's like that's really old. <laughs> that's like that's like some Stonehenge stuff. So um, so anyway, the the tradition of bringing in an evergreen tree that is super old, but in its in its uh, modern context with um, you know a, a Christmas tree. Uh, that probably is famous because of once again, Martin Luther, Martin Luther making another appearance here. He brought uh, trees into his house and put uh, candles on them or so the story goes. Now, I, I can't imagine putting candles on a Christmas tree because ours is so crispy already. That would just be the worst idea 
to put candles on it. But anyway, that's what that's what they said. That's what he said he did. Now, anyway, at the time, as you can imagine, because Martin Luther was doing this, the Catholics were not having it. <laughs> they were not about the Christmas trees. Uh, they um, they said it was pagan, and uh, so the Catholics were not on board with the Christmas trees. But then. Then, in the great melting pot, the great experiment that is America, everyone came together in America, and they all agreed that Christmas trees are awesome. And I guess that's just the kind of thing you get when you have Maryland and Pennsylvania right next to each other, because you got a bunch of uh, Protestant Dutch immigrants and, uh, and Catholics all mixed in there together, and in fact... The very first Christmas tree uh, to be displayed in America was actually in Pennsylvania in 1830. So I'm very thankful for this tradition. I love Christmas trees. What a perfect place to put gifts under and to just change the house, change the feeling of the house for the holiday season. I love it. And um, I think that's my favorite one on the list. I love Christmas trees. And uh, the last one, the last one I've known about for a while, I've always thought it was cool, but number 10 on the list is Christmas Ghost Stories. Now, I'm sure you've heard in that song, The Most Wonderful Time of Year. In that song, it says, there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. Oh, I promise I won't sing for you anymore. But anyway, yeah, what is it talking about? Why ghost stories? That's really weird. We don't associate ghost stories with Christmas. Well, not really. We kind of do. I'll explain. But telling ghost stories at this time of year would have been a really old tradition. I don't know if it goes back as far as the Christmas trees, but this would have been a tradition because... Uh, actually, December 21st, the day I'm recording this, is... The, uh, the first day of winter. And so uh, when winter hits, these are the super long days. It gets dark really early. It gets cold. The leaves are off the trees. If you've uh, seen a dark forest when the leaves are down, it's really creepy looking. And so this time of year just really lends itself to these scary stories. And so this would have been an oral tradition going back a long time where people would have been inside early as it's getting dark around the fire because it's cold. And what are you left to do? Well, you're going to tell scary stories. You're going to tell exciting stories because you got some time to kill and they're going to be scary because it's creepy outside. So these oral scary ghosty stories probably go back a long, long time. But when the era of printing started, when printing books and, and uh, printing poems and stories uh, became more available to the public, well, these enterprising printers wanted something to sell. And now around the holidays, people were spending more money than they normally would. And, uh, you know, and that's still the way it is, right? That's why they call Black Friday, Black Friday. Uh, as they say, uh, stories operate in the red up until the day after Thanksgiving when everyone starts their Christmas shopping. And then the store is back in the black. They are 
finally out of debt and earning that profit. I don't totally believe that one, but anyway, uh, that's the point here. People are spending money around the holidays, and the book printers wanted something to sell them. So they took these this oral tradition of the scary stories and um, and started printing them up in books. And so they uh, they they printed the 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 scary ghost stories and um, and then new ones came along. It wasn't just the the oral traditions of the story. When these books and these stories started to catch on as a, as a real holiday treat, then uh, then then new writers started writing new stories in this genre. And we have uh, the most famous of those, which is Charles Dickens, a Christmas Carol, which if you think about it is a ghost story, right? Now, it re- never really occurred to me before that this was a scary ghost story, but that's where it comes from. It comes from these traditions of uh, of Christmas ghost stories. And he wrote a bunch of them. Charles Dickens didn't just write this one. He wrote a bunch of them. And in fact, a bunch of them were much more ghost story-ish than a Christmas Carol. But what happened was he was writing all these ghost stories and he was writing Christmas stories. And then a Christmas Carol was kind of this wonderful mixing together of uh, both of the genres. And that's why we have a Christmas Carol. And it's such a good story that that's why it has lasted the test of time. And so while telling these ghost stories are, are not as popular a Christmas tradition anymore, we still have a couple of them left over. And now, my family, we also have a, uh, a book of Victorian ghost stories, and they're really fun. They're actually pretty scary. So, because I have little kids, we don't really, uh, uh, it's not a tradition yet, we, we don't uh, read all of them, but I think they're pretty cool. It really kind of does uh, give you an idea of what uh, people were into at the time. And I think they're really cool. There's quite a few of them out there. So you can probably find yourself a book of Victorian era, uh, ghost Christmas ghost stories. So I think they're fun and, uh, you might enjoy them too. But anyway, that is my list of Christmas. Did you knows? And I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had fun looking these up And uh, I I love all things Christmas, so this was a great time for me. And so I hope you have a Merry Christmas, too. I really hope you do. I hope you get to spend time with your family and take some time to relax and enjoy it and be grateful. Turn off the news. Turn off all that crap. Uh, It'll be there (laughs) after the holidays. But this is a time for for, uh, family and being grateful and um, enjoying one another's company, and maybe eat a goose. (laughs) Yes, eat a goose. That leads me into the song that I have picked out for this episode. This is my favorite Christmas song. (laughs) My favorite Christmas song is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. And um, this song has actually inspired a Christmas tradition in my house. And when I said, eat a goose, it's because in that song, it says, now the goose is on the table. <laughs> and uh, years ago now, my wife and I were listening to that song and we said, the goose is on the table? That's kind of weird. Like, uh, you know, we eat turkeys, we eat chickens. 
nobody really eats goose anymore. We're like, is that a Christmas thing? Is that why it's in a Christmas song? And so we kind of looked into it. And yes, a Christmas goose is really a thing. And so uh, my wife found a goose that that first year and and cooked this goose. And it was uh, difficult to do, but it's really delicious. I love the goose. And, um, you know, it's kind of a love-hate thing because we have since had people over who have eaten the goose and um, they kind of love it or hate it. The thing with the goose is it's like all dark meat. Now, me, I hate like a, a chicken breast, the dry breast meat of a chicken. It's it's like it's like eating nothing to me. So I am a I'm a thigh man. I'm a leg man. I like that dark meat. And a goose is like all dark meat. It's delicious. It's greasy, it's fatty, and it's just the kind of bird that I like to eat on a cold winter day. So you know what? Because of this song, we have a Christmas tradition in my house, and that is a Christmas goose. So I'm forever thankful to this song, and uh, even if it wasn't for that, it is just my favorite Christmas song because it's so strange, so funny. And you know, I thought there'd be a really good story behind it too, but as it turns out, no, not really. Uh, a guy and his wife wrote it, and um, it was just meant to be a funny Christmas song. It's really the only thing they ever did. Uh, they got divorced, <laughs> and uh, the guy wanted to uh, basically take the song for himself. So he recorded it again a couple of times without her trying to capitalize or whatever. But anyway, it's not that remarkable of a story. And although the original is really good, I chose an even better version for you. Because there is a version of this song by Real Big Fish, of which I must say I am a real big fan <laughs> because I love third wave ska. I love every wave ska. I like dance hall and rock steady. I like all of that type of music. But uh, Real Big Fish is great. And um, I believe I even had this album when I was younger. So please have a Merry Christmas and um, enjoy this version of Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer by Real Big Fish, and we'll see you next time.